This evening's reading is from Hebrews um, chapter 11 and reading verses 1 to 7. And it's on page 1209 of the Church Bibles. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was made out of what was visible. Sorry. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered Cain. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warmed, warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Hebrews also says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Our gracious and speaking Heavenly Father, as we come to you this evening, we thank you that this is no mere historical text, but through it you are speaking to us. And we pray, Father, that by your Spirit you would be pleased to take these words we hear now and apply them to our hearts. Please, Father, would we hear your voice? And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 11. Do you ever find yourself longing that the Christian life was more tangible? Do you ever find yourself wishing that the things we believe were more seeable? I mean, what Christians believe can feel so distant sometimes. I mean, we worship, after all, a crucified carpenter separated from us by 2,000 years and 2,000 miles. We believe, don't we, in a future where this world will be remade, but looking at our world now, it can feel like a faint hope. And in a culture where Christians feel, um, seem increasingly weird, we can find ourselves asking as Christians, is it worth it? I mean, is it worth enduring the jokes in the office day after day? Is it worth enduring the funny looks at college for being one of those church people? Is it worth enduring the struggle with sin, the struggle not to stray onto the wrong websites? Is the pain worth it when what I believe feels so distant, so intangible? Maybe for you, um, it's this issue that holds you back from being a Christian 
or at least hold you back from going the whole way. Because you live on, based on what you can see and touch and what you can measure. And it seems strange to you that Christians would live the life they do, endure the pain of sticking out for something they cannot even see. Well, our chapter tonight is written to a church who are asking these very questions. We're beginning a series this evening um, in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, for the next few weeks. Now, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but we do know uh, who it was written to. It's written to a group of Christians. And, And these Christians have started the race well, but they're now struggling on the laps And the reason I wanted us to look at it at St. Mary's is because I know for lots of us, we find having faith hard. It's hard, isn't it, to keep going sometimes. Perhaps um, Perhaps we're quite young, and it's the thought of keeping the faith for decades to come. Perhaps it's the struggle to keep the faith when the temptation feels too big. Or perhaps just for lots of us, It's just the doubts that pop in our heads from time to time. See, this chapter, I hope, is going to be so helpful for us because it is like a friend who comes by our side, puts her arm around us, and says, keep going. And the way the author does that is to show us that we're not alone in our faith. See, um, if you... We're paying attention in the reading. Um, I know we all do. But um, it, you've probably got a sense of it already. It it's kind of reads like an Old Testament hall of fame. See, the author goes through all the heroes that these Christians would have heard about in their bedtime stories. And he shows us that they're all heroes for one reason. And it's because they had faith. Now, before we dive in, I want us to take a step back for a moment and just think about this word faith for a second, because faith is a kind of Christian word, isn't it? We use it all the time. It sounds very Christian. But but unfortunately, I don't think it's very well understood. What do we mean by this word faith? Well, what I think people generally mean by faith is a leap in the dark. Sure, you haven't got the evidence. It seems like something can't be true. It defies all odds. But actually, take a leap of faith. Believe despite all the evidence to the contrary. But notice that's not how the Bible describes faith, and it's not how our author of Hebrews describes the faith. Look at verse 1 for a definition. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. No, I've got something written different here. um, I don't know what translation I've used. There we go. Um, I'll use yours. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See, it's very subtle, this, but do you see? It's not the same as a leap in the dark. Sure, it's got something to do with not being able to see, but do you know what it says? It says, faith is being sure about what we hope for. It's being sure that what God promises will happen. Now, to give you an example of this, um, when an engagement takes place, people start living by faith. Now, when I got down on one knee, actually 12 years ago today, fancy that, um, it was a long way down, let me tell you, um, but when I, when I got down on one knee and asked Claire to marry me and she said yes, from that moment on, I needed to have faith. I needed to have faith that she would be at the church when she said she would, 
that she would say her vows like we agreed, that she wouldn't just kind of decide on a whim on the day and leave me standing up here on my own. Now, was that faith a leap in the dark? Well, no. It's based on evidence, isn't it? It's based on Claire's words, and, you know, she's pretty trustworthy. But here's the thing. Until the wedding day, the object of that faith was not seen. I mean, until the ceremony took place, the faith was just that the hope would happen. And for as long as it didn't take place, I needed to have faith. See, this is what Christian faith is about, and it's what we're going to be hearing about for the next few weeks. We're going to hear faith, faith, time after time. And it's, it's this, it's being assured that what God says will happen, will happen. What God says will happen, will happen. See, Jesus makes so many promises to us, doesn't he? He says to us that he'll raise us to life, even though we die, that he'll make sure every minute of our lives is for our good, that every life given up for him will be worth it in the end. And faith is the response that says, I trust you. But, as I mentioned at the beginning, having faith is hard because we don't yet see what we hope for. Sure, there's some things um, we do see. We see the church. We see evidence of the Spirit's work and transformation of people's lives. But for the most part, we don't see what we hope for. We don't see an end to death, a new body, a new creation. That's all to come. And the author says, look, if you find it hard to cling on, to have faith, look at these guys who have done it already. And three of them we're going to look at tonight. Um, we see that uh, we're to have faith when life shows us that religion seems to trump faith. I'll get to that, explain what that means. Uh, we're to have faith when it feels like death is the end and when it feels like judgment will never come. Excuse me. Now, the first example here in Abel um, might seem a strange one because if we know anything about Abel, we will probably know that he is the first murder victim. Um, but what Abel does show us is that faith matters in the end, not religion. Now, um, Lots of us, I guess, will know the story of Cain and Abel. Not all of us, but there were two brothers, and they had two jobs. One was a shepherd, one was a farmer. And each of them, one day, brought uh, to God an offering from what they had been working on. And we're told in Genesis that those two offerings, only one was looked upon with favor, and that was Abel's and not Cain's. Now, according to Genesis, that is all that it is, is said and people have been kind of scratching their heads over the centuries and wondering, why was it that one sacrifice was okay, but another one wasn't? But Hebrews tells us what the difference was in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke, spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. Do you see the difference? Faith. See, there were two offerings, but only one was acceptable, because only one of them was offered from a heart that trusted God. Now, what I find absolutely fascinating in Genesis is that both Cain and Abel did the religious bit. Both of them kind of made an offering. 
It wasn't like Abel was the religious one and uh, Cain was a complete tearaway. Actually, both looked very religious. But the thing is, Cain's religion was worthless because it wasn't from faith. Cain was kind of doing the religious bit. He was ticking the box, like going to church to get the religious parents off your back or putting some money in the collection uh, at Christmas or Easter to kind of do your part for the Church of England. And Cain had thought that he'd done his due, that he kept God's sweet. But that doesn't matter to God if you don't love him, if you don't trust him. I mean, you can offer all the riches of the world, but if it's not from a heart of faith, it's worthless, like loose change. But here's the thing. Here's the crucial thing in Hebrews 11. There was no way for Abel to be able to see the difference. See, all Abel could see from his perspective was him and his brother being very religious. But what difference did it make? Both seemed as devoted to God as each other. Abel didn't see the outcome of his faith. When I was back at university, um, I went to one of those big... Um, student conventions. You know, you see on the tally the big kind of political conventions. Um, I was one of those annoying student politics person people, and um, I went to one of those. And we were there was thousands of us, and we were all allocated rooms uh, to share with people we didn't know. And I was allocated a three bedroom room with one Muslim and one Jew, and I had just become a Christian. Now it sounds like the start of a joke, but um, it's not. This is uh, this is real life. And uh, I was in the middle, I was sitting on the bed talking to the Muslim guy, uh, getting to know him. Um, But then suddenly our conversation was interrupted because he went up to the bathroom, washed his feet, got out a prayer mat and began to kneel down and pray. And I remember as a young Christian thinking, oh, he seems pretty devoted to do that. And I went down to breakfast with the Jewish guy and he got his food and there was um, a bit of a problem with the order. I don't think it was kosher. And then uh, he had to have a discussion with a couple of members of staff, and eventually he got the right food. But I remember, again, as a young Christian thinking, wow, his religion seems to affect his life. And I felt inadequate with just my faith. I mean, here I am as a Christian. I've got no badge. I've got no mat. I don't have to wash to pray. I do have to wash, but not to pray. (laughs) I don't worry about what's on my plate. All I do is trust. I trust that God has done everything already to make me acceptable through Jesus Christ. But that's hard, isn't it? When we're faced with religion. Even a really devoted religion. Because it seems more tangible. You've got something to show uh, what you're doing. And Abel's example to us is an encouragement because it says to us, don't get swayed by people who seem very devoted because it's only faith that counts. I mean, you say to me, how does that work? Because Abel was killed by his brother. But notice what the the author says at the end of verse 4. He says, and by faith he still speaks, even though he's dead. He's um, referencing that bit in Genesis where uh, God says Abel's blood is crying out. And the point is that even though Abel was persecuted, even though he was killed, God never forgot him. Because of his faith. If you haven't felt it already, you will feel it at some point, but there will be the temptation as a Christian to feel second class, 
because we're not chasing the religious devotion of others. And I'm guessing for us at St. Mary's, it's um, not the people in the mosque or the church or the synagogue who are calling us for religious devotion. They're on the news sites. They're on our Insta feed. People crying out, never use plastic straws. Or how can you eat junk food? Pursue clean eating. Or people calling us to fight the latest injustice by kind of superimposing an image on our Facebook picture as if that's going to change the world. And it's easy sometimes to think, am I doing the wrong thing? What am I doing coming to church in Basingstoke? Is this really going to achieve anything? Is my faith enough? See, those other religions, those other crusades, they seem more tangible. What am I doing going my own way, trusting Jesus Christ alone? Well, remember Abel when that day happens. There was lots of religion, but only faith counted in the end, and faith alone. How do we keep going, though? How do we keep the faith when it feels like there's no payback, no reward? Well, Abel was killed, wasn't he? And and often we find that we don't see the benefits. Well, our second example here of Enoch um, answers that question. Now, here's a picture of Enoch. Um, Let me say, I'm pretty sure it didn't happen like that, but um, that's not a photo. But uh, that gives you... (coughs) Excuse me. That gives you an idea of what Enoch is famous for. See, he only gets four verses in Genesis, but the one thing that was remarkable in his life, the one big reason we're told about him is because he did not die. See, God took him before he could see the grave. And the people... um, People through the centuries have asked the question, why? Why Enoch? Why did he get taken? And Hebrews 5, verse 5 tells us. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as the one who pleased God. Do you see why he didn't die? He pleased God. And how did he please God? Was it his religious works? Was he um, impressive in some sort of way? No, it's because he had faith. Now that's good for Enoch. He didn't die. But how does that help me when I don't get an escalator to heaven? Well, what's striking when you read Genesis is how much Enoch sticks out. I, I won't go into this in detail, but if you read Genesis 5 where he comes up, Um, It comes in the context of a long chapter of people dying. The whole chapter is really kind of exhausting to read. It says that someone was born, they lived this many years, and then they died. The next person was born, they lived this many years, and then they died, and so on and so forth. And Enoch sits in this death list like a jewel in the mud. See, he's the one exception where sin and death didn't win. He lives. Um, John Calvin's helpful on this point because he says, look, imagine if Enoch died like everyone else. How would you know that his faith made any difference at all? And the answer is you wouldn't. See, if Enoch just died, you'll look at his life of faith and think, where did it get him? I mean, good for him, he had faith, that's the right thing to do, but he ended up in the grave like everyone else. 
Now, as a curate, I've um, begun to lead funerals, and I've actually um, got to say, I found it a huge privilege to be with people at a key life event. And I've done, I don't know people's hearts, but I've done funerals for what seems to be non-Christians and Christians alike. And do you know what the difference is in those funerals? There isn't one. See, both come through the doors in the same wooden box. Both are loaded onto the same staging at the front of the chapel. Both go into the same fire. See, if you look at the funeral of a Christian, there is nothing, apart from what we say, to show you that they're any different to anyone else. But Enoch is the example. He is the example that death is not the end for those who have faith. Enoch lived by faith, and he did not die. So it's easy, isn't it, to, to look at faith and think, is my life of faith worth it? I mean, if death is the end, then every minute is precious. Why would I want to waste a second being in church or uh, being devoted to someone else? And we look at others around us living like this is the only life they've got, People trying to sleep with as many people as they can. People traveling to every country before they're too old to get on a plane. People sharing every experience on social media. Milking it for everything it can get them. And I don't know about you, but you're tempted to ask sometimes, what am I doing living with different priorities? Living a life of faith. Well, Enoch shows us faith is worth it in the end. Because one day, like Enoch, God will lift every single one of his people from the earth, never to taste death again. And on that day, there will not be even a hint of the question, was it worth it? But how do we keep that faith, thirdly? When for lots of us, Things like death and resurrection just seems way off in the future. I realize some of us are in our teens, our 20s, our 30s, our 40s, and you know, the thought of dying probably just doesn't cross most of our minds. How do we keep going when it just seems way off in the future? Well, our final example of Noah shows us how to have faith, even when it doesn't feel urgent. Now, um, Noah's uh, even more well-known than Abel and Enoch. He's the, the ark and the flood guy. Um, you know about him. Um, and, uh, but what's interesting is what Hebrews focuses on in verse 7. He says this, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Do you see what he did? He built an ark by faith. What we often, um, I think, miss with Noah is that the whole thing didn't just happen in one weekend. Actually, there was a long period, it seems like 120 years, before the flood came. So Noah was warned about the coming judgment, and for 12 decades, he had to wait and live by faith. But here's the thing, he had to also act on that faith, didn't he? I mean, it was no good Noah just saying, great, judgment's coming, I'll carry on with life as normal. He had to get the hammer and the saw out and construct an ark. And just imagine how difficult that would have been for Noah over the decades. Noah's neighbours are heading off for their morning commute, but he's there banging nails into wood. 
Everyone else is out on a Saturday night eating and drinking in Nando's. And he's at home, waterproof in the ark. And for 120 years, Noah would have been the talk of the town. People calling him crazy or fundamentalist. But one day, the rain started to fall. First it was a drop, then two, then three, but then a torrent, and it just seemed like the tap couldn't be turned off. And because of Noah's faith, he saved himself and his family. See, the point of Noah is to show us that faith acts in light of future judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but for us to kind of act in in light of future judgment is very hard, isn't it? Because in the world we live in, it doesn't seem obvious that judgment is coming. I mean, we get up every morning and the sun is in the sky. I know it's not in the UK, but it's kind of there behind the clouds. Uh, And the, the night comes and the next day begins and Seasons come and go, and the years go past, and the decades start rolling on by. And it, it seems like kind of everything carries on like it has before, with no judgment. And Christians can seem very foolish, very stupid, to insist that people in this world need to respond to a coming judgment. I mean, people, I guess, see us like they do those guys on the street with the wooden boards on either side saying the end is nigh. And we can often begin to wonder if it's coming ourselves. Perhaps we've misunderstood it. Perhaps when Jesus talks about judgment, he didn't quite mean it like that. And our foot kind of starts to slip off the pedal. And we no longer feel the urgency of telling our friends and family. We don't take the opportunities when they present themselves. We keep our mouths quiet when we could open them. And we get kind of comfortable in our holy huddles, telling ourselves, look, it'll probably work itself out in the end. But Hebrews says, no, remember Noah. When God said there would be a judgment, Noah trusted God that there would be a judgment. See, faith says, I will trust Jesus when he says he will return to judge the world. See, faith acts. It warns others about judgment. Even when it means the uncomfortable work of going out of our church or risk being thought of as a fundamentalist Christian. See, faith acts. As we finish, these three examples, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, they all show us, don't they? And we're going to see more to come that faith is worth it. It may seem difficult now. It may seem hard to keep going, but one day we will look back and wonder why we even doubted. But unlike Abel, Enoch, and Noah, we have even more evidence to persuade us because we have seen the biggest example of why faith is worth it in Jesus Christ. See, Abel made a sacrifice by faith, but in the death of Jesus, we have an even greater sacrifice that is sufficient to cover not just Abel, but the sins of the whole world. Enoch lived by faith, and he never tasted death, but in the resurrection of Jesus, we have living proof, literally, that the grave does not win. And Noah was warned by a word and built an ark to save his family, but we have seen the living word come to us 
and promise that he will shield his people from the fire of God's judgment. See, these examples in Hebrews are remarkable because they showed faith just when they had God's word. How much more, St. Mary's, can we have faith now having the living word in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, these are um, encouraging but challenging words. They encourage us, Father, because we know that a life of faith is a life that will result in life with you. And we pray, Father, for those of us feeling discouraged, particularly today, that you would encourage us with these examples of Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And we pray, Father, for us who perhaps feel apathetic, who have perhaps stagnated a bit. Please challenge us by these words we ask, Father, so that by their example we may be stirred to live by faith in Jesus Christ. Please, Father, press on us all how we might be encouraged, how we might be corrected, how we might live going forward. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.